Chapter fifty one of Young People's Treasury, Volume six Famous Travels and Adventures by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. The Musk Ox and Its Habits. Much has been heard ever since exploration in high latitudes began of the musk ox, a large animal which inhabits those solitudes between Greenland and the Mackenzie River to its presence is due very largely the existence of native races of men there and without the food it has furnished many an explorer must have perished and the geography of extensive regions have remained little known this animal however is not a true ox but forms a type by itself more nearly related to the white goat antelope of the northern rocky mountains than to any other american quadruped and still more closely to the takens Bedorcus of Tibet and western China. Its scientific name is Ovibos machatus, and there appears to be only a single species, although those of Greenland differ somewhat from those of the mainland. Mr. Ingersoll tells us, in his Life of Mammals, that this animal is arctic in the strictest sense of the word, for Peary found them upon the northernmost shores of Grant Land and Greenland, and none wander even in midwinter farther south in the arctic circle they are not found west of cape bathurst he says nor east of fox channel and baffin bay nor on the west coast of greenland although frequenting the east coast south to about latitude seventy degrees north none now occurs anywhere in the old world but in pleistocene times these animals inhabited asia and europe down to the east and west mountain axis and were hunted by the men of the early stone age and at a somewhat earlier time musk oxen of extinct genera as well as species roamed over this continent as far south as kansas these singular animals have little resemblance to other ruminants except in the bison-like head in it remarks william t hornaday author of the american natural history one sees an oblong mass of very long and wavy brown hair four and a half feet high by six and a half feet long supported upon very short and post-like legs that are half hidden by the sweeping pelage of the body the three-inch tail is so very small and short it is quite invisible there is a blunt and hairy muzzle round and shining eyes but the ears are almost invisible the whole top of the head is covered by a pair of horns enormously flattened at the base and meeting each other in the center line of the forehead the outer hair is a foot or more in length and often touches the snow when the animal walks in the middle of the back is a broad saddle mark of shorter dull gray hair next to the body is a woolly coat of very fine soft light brown hair very clean and so dense that neither cold nor moisture can penetrate it this is for warmth the longer and coarser hair that grows through it is the storm coat to shed rain and snow the average live weight is about five hundred pounds but some are much heavier they are so very ox-like in appearance and behavior that some of the later men have spoken of them as polar oxen thinking it a better name than musk oxen especially as all agree that there is neither odor nor taste of musk about them yet nathorst who has written extensively of them has encountered in northeastern greenland declares that he could smell a herd at a long distance probably the fullest information extant of these animals and their habits as learned by years of hunting them 
even to the shores of the arctic ocean is contained in the new land by otto sverdrup from which the succeeding material has been gathered the region covered was ellesmere land and the islands west of it agility and curiosity the musk oxen or polar oxen as sverdrup terms them were first encountered however down near hayes sound where in some places broad paths showed the frequency of their tramp through certain valleys single bulls and small bands were met with in a rocky district where they would hasten with amazing agility to some high point and take a stand facing the hunter instead of running away except when they became alarmed a long distance off sverdrup shot a cow in one such group when the rest of the herd instead of fleeing began to bellow and behave just as the cattle do at home when they smell blood they walked round and round in a ring with lowered heads pawed up the earth so that the moss flew in all directions lowed and snorted and altogether behaved in a most alarming manner this attitude developed sometimes into real danger for the hunter as occurred to dr bay in one of his hunts suddenly one of the oxen caught sight of him and came stealthily snuffing down to examine this curious phenomenon bay took steady aim and let blaze he hit his mark of course but the ox was not to be daunted by such a trifle and continued its way with the difference only that it increased its pace and set a course straight on bay to the onlookers things seemed to be getting pretty serious nearer and nearer came the ox at a steady pace and bay apparently fired into it time after time not a shot seemed to take effect and he had to confess later that he had found his match it was not till the animal was within a few paces of the stone that at last it received a shot which brought it to the ground furious charging on enemies others found themselves in peril from similar charges as the next citation will show as we were wending our way up the slopes sverdrup writes we suddenly became aware of three polar oxen high up in a steep rocky place my first bullet i heard singing among the rocks over the heads of the animals my two necks struck one each and although the oxen remained on their feet i could see that they had had enough a large ox was still standing a little distance off so i let go the dogs on to it and left simons and shy to do the rest it was their first experience of polar ox shooting they followed the animal a little way along the flat-topped ridge of sand and then shy dropped down behind a stone from which he meant to get a resting shot simons was just standing wondering whether he should do likewise but before he could make up his mind the ox set off full gallop down the slope the stones and earth flying from under his hoofs it headed straight for the discomfited sportsman with all the pack after it and so extraordinarily quick was the animal that not one of the dogs could keep up with it it could not have been pleasant to be simons or shy at that moment it was difficult for either of them to shoot for if they missed they might hit a dog and in any case to shoot resting was an impossibility this shy also perceived and he started up to aim but the ox advanced on him so rapidly that he was not ready for it in time the same was the case with simons he had got a cartridge jammed and now there was only one thing left for them to do run to one side to avoid being tossed by the animal i had my own reflections on the subject as i stood looking on at the performance but they were of short duration at the mad pace at which the ox was going it was impossible for it to remain up under the boulders and so down it came 
heading straight for me. Here was a dilemma. Behind the ox were both the shooters and the dogs, and if I missed, one or other of them might be killed. There was no time for hesitation, however, so I sent the ox a bullet at twenty yards distance, but without it having the slightest effect. It rushed straight on me with the same furious speed as before, and there was absolutely no possibility of getting in a new cartridge. I had to do as my comrades had done before me. The animal flashed past, but my second shot being ready just as it was turning around, I gave it a charge which hit it on the nape at the back of the head. It fell on the spot. It was a fine animal with the biggest horns I had seen up to that time, and it was quite capable of using them too. Habits in Elzamere Land As experience was gained where this game was more abundant, their habits were thoroughly learned. All the islands north of the American continent and the plains between the Arctic Ocean and Hudson Bay bear a great quantity of herbage, while the rocks support edible lichens in abundance in most places. In summer, then, these animals, reindeer and other kinds of game, thrive, and in winter they resort from the colder, snowier, and more barren districts to valleys which afford them shelter, and on whose intervening ridges the wind keeps the surface bare of snow, enabling them to feed sufficiently to maintain life and often to keep in excellent condition until spring. One April, in Ellesmere land, a party of the Norwegians witnessed an exhibition of the tactics of defense adopted by these oxen. Mr. Bay had started four fine examples, and Sverdrup's team got wind of the chase, and set off at such a pace that the captain only just managed to throw himself on the sledge in time. They tore like wildfire, as he expresses it, Across the level ground, the loads jumped from drift to drift, and before I knew what had happened, the sledge had dashed against an icy drift and was overturned, while I found myself at some distance from it sitting in the snow. I struggled on to my legs again as quickly as I could, and flung myself on to the next sledge as it flew past, and on we went again at mad speed, until at last the dogs came to a standstill in a heap of sand on the north side of the valley. Meanwhile, the dogs had winded the oxen, and when they came to a standstill, I undid the connecting lanyard and led them head up the slope, followed by Bay, who scrambled after them, literally streaming with perspiration, the result of his efforts in the chase. Forming Defensive Squares I took my gun and sauntered after them. I liked looking on at that sort of sport. When I reached the first slope, I observed that the four oxen had formed a square and were standing in wait for the dogs which were making towards them. It was evidently their intention to give battle, and when the dogs came up, a curious scene ensued. The oxen, as I said before, had formed a square. They stood at regular intervals one from another with their hind quarters together and their heads outward. Then, in turn, and with lightning speed, each one made an advance in the shape of a circular movement from left to right. At the same moment that an ox regained his place, his neighbor on the right sped out on a similar attack, and thus they went on uninterruptedly with almost military precision. As long as the maneuver continued, one of the oxen was always out on a movement of attack, endeavoring to spit or rip up one or more of his adversaries. The size of the attacking circle seems always to be determined by the distance of the enemy, and the nature of the ground. As a rule, the animals advance ten or twelve yards from the square, 
and once i saw them make attacks to a distance of a hundred yards the remaining oxen always cover the gap in the square but immediately make room for their comrade when he returns from his round now and then when the fight is a long one they stop to breathe and then begin again with renewed vigor the greatest degree of precision is attained by oxen of the same age like old combatants they seem thoroughly to enjoy defending themselves and appreciate the sporting element in it i have seen herds of as many as thirty animals form a square with the calves and heifers in the middle and the bulls and cows standing in line of defense at distances as equal as the points on the face of a compass when the defense forces of the line were no longer available the reserve was mobilized right down to two-year-old heifers in such circumstances of course the movements were not carried out so regularly and the discipline was less absolute i noticed that sometimes the regular old fighters of the herd formed themselves into a kind of outpost at twenty or twenty-five yards distance from the square this was partly with a view to defense to take the first brush with the enemy but also no doubt to have a good fight on their own account it sometimes happened that the whole herd first formed in a square and then one or two fighting giants would walk out to the outposts line but as a rule their order of attack was evidently planned from the first when once the animals had formed into a square they remained at their posts until the attack was repulsed or the entire square fallen i have myself seen the last standing ox make his sortie and then return to his fallen comrades in cases where the oxen had to defend themselves against a single enemy they would sometimes form up in a long fighting line without cover on the flanks and then stood forehead to forehead and horns to horns they sharpened their horns by wetting them on the ground value and origin of these tactics their mode of defense is on the whole absolutely equal to the attack of any brute assailants existing in these regions whether they be wolves or bears one asks oneself involuntarily what animal can have developed their strategic reasoning powers in such an admirable manner the polar bear it cannot be for it does not appear in numbers together its habitat is the drift ice rather than the land and besides it is my opinion that a polar ox would make short work of a polar bear the ox is so quick in its movements has such enormous strength of neck and is provided with such formidable pointed horns that as far as a bear is concerned it has no cause for alarm what other enemy then has it to fear in these tracks the wolf yes that is indeed the only one but in these parts the wolf does not appear in large packs as a rule they go about singly or in couples the greatest number i ever saw together was twelve and they live chiefly on the innocent arctic hares in which the country abounds other enemy in the brute kingdom the polar ox has not in the arctic tracts where it now is to be found either it must have migrated hither from regions where it had more dangerous enemies or else the wolf in earlier times must have appeared in such large packs that collective defense was a necessity i incline to the latter view an instance of their method of fighting a single enemy by charging in a line as mentioned above nearly cost bellman his life he tells the story as follows as aforesaid the animal suddenly became aware of me and at the same moment wheeled right round and headed straight for me at full gallop so close on each other were their horns that they seemed to form a single 
unbroken white line. The animals sunk their heads till they almost touched the ground. The steam stood out from their nostrils and they snorted, blew, and puffed like a steam engine trying to set a too heavy train in motion. A glance backward at once told me that there was no question of retreat, for that I was too far forward on the plateau, and should be overtaken long before I reached halfway to the cliff. There was nothing for it but to try and make a stand. To be carried with them would bring certain destruction. Up came my carbine, a report, a trembling of the ranks, and an animal fell. The others at once closed up, and so far from the attack, diminishing in force and fury, it seemed rather to increase. To continue shooting and trying to defend myself with the carbine would have been downright madness. I had only two shots left, and one need not have had much to do with polar oxen to know that one must be exceptionally lucky to bring two animals to the ground with two shots when the herd is advancing at full gallop. And even were I lucky enough to bring off two such master shots, it would hardly affect the herd to any appreciable extent. A Hunter's Peril Well, there was no time for prayer or reflection. If this was to be the end, then, in heaven's name, let me rush into it instead of standing still, for by doing this I should, without doubt, only be carried with the oxen. I would not give much for what is left of a person when a herd of these animals has done with him. No, either there should be an end at once, or the polar oxen should let me through. So, with a horrible yell, and waving my arms all I knew, I charged the line. This manifestly did some good, for as I came nearer, I saw the rank open, and I ran straight through it. The nearest animals were certainly not a yard from me. I was thus saved from the first shock, but I was still up on the plateau, and this was no abiding place for me. No, better make my way back to the cliff and try to get across the bed of the stream again. But before I had time to think, which was the shortest way, I had the whole herd, which had wheeled around, in line coming towards me again. I had succeeded in impressing them once, so I supposed I could do it again, and with my former war cry I once more charged the line. As before, the ranks opened, and I slipped through unscathed. In the rush of it all, I had managed to make out that the shortest way to the cliff was the way I was going, and I continued to run on. Again the oxen wheeled round. This time, however, they did not come in line, but in herds of five or six, and, what was worse, they now appeared as if they meant to attack from different sides. I suddenly realized that, once surrounded by these small herds, I was undone. I exerted myself to the utmost and ran as hard as I could, but nearer and nearer came the herds, and I thought I was already cut off, when help came from a quarter whence I had long expected it. Up the cliffside came Moses, tearing like the wind, and rushed straight on to the nearest herd. Over he went, poor dog, and I heard a plaintive yelp, but order was broken and the herd dispersed. I thought, of course, that was the end of Moses, but he emerged from the melee, whole and unhurt, and went for the next herd. Now came Gulen and Scylla, and heaven be praised, not together, but a little way from each other, and each attacked a herd. In this manner I gained sufficient breathing time to reach the cliff, where I was in comparative safety, so I stopped and turned round to see how the dogs were faring. The herd swept on, crossing and recrossing one another, blowing and tearing up the earth with their horns. Now and then I heard a plaintive howl from one or other of the dogs. 
it was simply a miracle that they were not spitted at once on one of the many horns which were ready to rip them up i called the dogs but none of them heard me i had no mind to venture out onto the plateau again so i crossed over the bed of the stream and began to call the dogs once more but it was fruitless my voice was drowned by the tumult of battle on the other side had i had ammunition enough i could of course have tried to shoot down the herd at long range but in these latitudes it is downright malevolent if not criminal to shoot anything but what one is obliged to shoot or what one can make use of wolves foxes and stoats however i accept from this rule bears on the other hand are so important as food for one's dogs that they ought to be allowed to go scot-free if one has no use for them or if one cannot take back the skin on board every day and sometimes several times a day in favorable parts of the country polar oxen were met and a curious circumstance is that in an extraordinary number of cases there were just eleven animals in a band no more were shot than necessary however and with one more interesting incident we may leave them a touching incident sverdrup and fosheim were hunting on snowshoes skis in the far northwest of ellesmere land when a small herd all cows were suddenly startled out of a hollow in the plain as they started to run off i noticed that one of them had a newly born calf the herd went up a steep snowdrift eight or ten feet in height and the calf made a brave attempt to follow but when it had almost reached the top lost its footing and rolled down to the bottom again it fell so badly and helplessly that i thought it was killed but to my surprise it rose to its feet and began to scramble up once more its second attempt to scale the drift was no more successful than the first and again it came rolling down it cried piteously just like a baby when it is very unhappy i felt so sorry for it that i was just starting to help it up the drift when suddenly it occurred to me that the old cow might misinterpret my motives and what then i might risk a battle with her and it would be a pity perhaps to have to shoot her in self-defense i decided to remain where i was and await the turn of events at last the mother heard the cries of distress and came tearing down the hillside the snow flying behind her heaven help the person who had meddled with her calf then she would have made it hot for him it was both amusing and touching to see the two together the mother caressed the calf as if to comfort it sniffed it all over to see if it was still whole gave it a push now and again and then started gently up the drift but not the way the calf had gone in following the herd she carefully chose an easier and less steep way when she had got it across the drift she ran a few steps forward not very fast but too quickly at any rate for the calf to follow her then she turned back and pushed it from behind with her muzzle so that it went a little faster again she ran a few yards forward but still the poor little thing could not keep up with her and she returned to her old pushing methods so they went on all the way up until they reached the square then she took her place in it and the calf crept under her and was entirely hidden from sight by her long hair end of chapter fifty one